Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything that traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello, this is Lou Katz, and I want to welcome you to our podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And here's how we do it. We start off by welcoming from Vulture and New York Magazine, entertainment maven, Jen Cheney. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and from WTOP Radio, longtime critic, entertainment reporter, and the guy who's probably going to be the next Steven Spielberg. You know him, you love him, Jason Friendly. <laughs> Well, that was very kind, but <laughs> and exaggerated. But hey, hi, thanks, guys. <laughs> he's he's the Oscar Savant, the Oscar Savant, exactly. not Oscar Levant, Oscar Savant. <laughs> and stuck right in the middle of all of these experts, uh, our moderator and the guy who can do the butt better than Glenn Close, <laughs> the one and only Arch yeah. Campbell. I'm sitting on my butt. If that counts, here we are. And this is the week I've been looking forward to all year, the week we get to hash out the good, the bad, and the rest of it of the Oscar show and what the awards mean. But first, let's get to what we're watching and what we recommend this week. So Jen Cheney, what is in your uh, bailiwick? So I have two recommendations that are at extreme, extremely different ends of the spectrum. Uh, the first one is the fourth season of The Handmaid's Tale, which drops on Hulu starting on Wednesday. You'll get the first three episodes and then the rest of the season will roll out on a weekly basis after that. You know, I had concerns about this show because I was starting to worry, really starting in season two, that it was going to get stuck in a hamster wheel where Elizabeth Moss character, you know, almost gets out of Gilead, and then at the very last minute, she's like, no, I gotta stay. And that's essentially what happened in the last- No way. Yeah, in the last two season finales. Um, but this picks up where the last one left off, and a number of handmaids and Marthas and a bunch of children have escaped from Gilead. And so you're, you're watching what they do when they finally arrive in Canada, and also what's going on with June, Elizabeth Moss' character. And there's more forward momentum the stakes feel higher and more urgent. Elizabeth Moss is always great in this, but she has some scenes in this that are just off the charts in terms of fury. Um, she also directs three of the episodes this season. So I, I think this is the best it's been since it started. Um, so if you liked the show in season one and you're, and you're on the fence, uh, season four is worth coming back for. Do you even remember or did you see the movie from about... 25 years ago with Robert Duvall and uh, I think it was well I'll think of it later but it started as a, as a film of, yeah. of the novel yeah I saw remember? it I watched it when um when the first series was coming out just to kind of have a uh -huh. comparison point it's it's not as good as the series was or has okay. been okay <laughs> fine <laughs> um, and then my other recommendation is The Mitchells versus The Machines, which is a Netflix movie that comes out on Friday. It's a Sony animated film, and it's about um, a girl who's going off to film school 
but her father is reluctant for her to go. And it's sort of about the relationship, but it's also about our relationship with digital technology and all the digital pieces of technology that have a certain chip in them start to revolt and, and against the human <laughs> as she's trying to get to, um, to college. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact starting now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. And it's very clever. I, I really enjoyed it. I feel like there hasn't been a good, everybody in the family can watch this and be really entertained movie in a mm -hmm. while. And this this hits that spot. So if you're looking for something to watch with the kids, this is fun. Okay, and uh, Jason Fraley, I particularly wanted you to be on this podcast because you are the Oscar savant. But first, uh, what are you watching? What are you recommending to people these days? Well, I got two recommend recommendations. One's a couple years old and one's brand new, not even out yet. The first is my wife and I stumbled upon this Netflix series. It's called It's Bruno. I'm, Jen's probably <laughs> covered it years ago because it came out in like 2019, I think. It was an Emmy nominee. But I wanted to throw it out because we just got a dog and it's all about a dog and we're on Hound Radio, so it's kind of perfect. <laughs> it's, it's about a, a young guy living in Brooklyn with his dog. I believe it's a I believe it's a puggle named Brooklyn. Uh, a, a puggle in Brooklyn. And um, every episode, it's only 15 minutes long. It's hilarious, but it's also a little surprisingly heartfelt. And these characters, you know, show up. Maybe there'll be a character introduced at a grocery store in episode two that comes back in episode six. And it's really creative how it's done. Lots of interesting shots and angles, um, you know, on the streets of Brooklyn that, you know, we saw do the right thing like 30 years ago, do it. But, you know, this it's it still feels alive and fresh today. Brooklyn is bubbling in this show, but it's all about humans and their dogs picking up their doggy droppings on the sidewalks teaching them <laughs> command. I, we're loving it but um anyway and then something new that's coming out is called it's a documentary called street gang how we got to sesame street um oh yeah oh. um i'm only about halfway through it before we had to hop on here i'm watching a screener link but it comes out in dc theaters this friday and then hits uh on demand for streaming on may 7th but it's all about mm -hmm. the origins of sesame street um, even how they came up with the name of, of the show, um, because they wanted to be like open sesame. They wanted to be a magical place uh, for inner city kids to watch, uh, you know, educational programs. That was sort of the genesis of it. This was an experiment. Tag, you're it. No one had ever seen anything like it. It's really fascinating. I, I'm loving it so far. I think the uh, the one show that everybody can agree on and that everybody is talking about is Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet. And I am completely uh, obsessed with it. And uh, actually, I one of the things I resented about the Oscar show is I couldn't flip over and watch it Sunday night on HBO Max because I had to watch the Oscar show. The other thing I'm watching on PBS is Atlantic Crossing. Have either of you heard of this? Kyle MacLachlan plays FDR, which is a little jarring when, when you remember him in Showgirls and Blue Velvet. But it's... Uh, it's set, it, it's the story of Princess Martha, who uh, had to leave Norway when the Nazis invaded. And uh, FDR was smitten with her. And he arranged for her and her children to uh, get through the blockade and come to America. And she lived at the White House for a while. And then for several years, 
She and her family lived in an estate called Pooks Hill in Bethesda. And it's about her uh, relationship with her husband and with FDR and the years she lived in uh, Washington. And there are even some people who remember uh, Pooks Hill, which is, uh, I think it's a Marriott Hotel now, but it was yeah. a, a large estate uh, when Bethesda was out in the country. And it's a great story. Yeah, Jason. I used to live at the Promenade Towers in Pooks Hill. <laughs> <laughs> did before, you ever hear the story I got of frederick i used to live on pooks hill so um yeah maybe maybe the ghosts of that story are wandering around <laughs> did did you know the story of princess martha and norway and all of that i had no clue i had no clue uh that's it's, that is in, that's incredible <laughs> it's it's not a great series it's masterpiece theater it's a little slow as i say kyle mclaughlin is a little bit to swallow as fdr but it's an interesting uh, story, and uh, and I'm enjoying it. So now we got the recommendations out of the way. Let's get to the Oscars, and shall we start with the presentation? And who would like to begin? Uh, why don't you start, Arch? Uh, I thought it was quite rough and uh, very poorly written. Uh, starting at the beginning. Uh, I like the way it started. I like Regina King walking into the techno music and uh, the long walking shot through uh, Union Station, which is one of my favorite buildings in America. But once she started reading the material, it started falling apart because it was written so poorly. And the the lack of uh, time cue on acceptance speeches contributed to even more of a downer as the show started. And I think during the first hour, they started losing uh, the audience in droves. And I thought it was, I thought they shot themselves in the foot. In fact, I think they have done a disservice to the movie industry. And let, I'll just start that way. Although I will add three words, the octopus movie. <laughs> <laughs> the octopus movie. I think that is the moment <laughs> that they lost everybody. Yeah, what was the, the line that they said in that acceptance speech? <laughs> yeah. They said, if humans can learn to live with octopuses, what else can we do? <laughs> If Republicans and Democrats could only make friends with an octopus, <laughs> they could get along. <laughs> so that's my opening bit. I thought it was pretty bad and slow and hard to watch and a little bit too precious. And in fact, I thought all the little stories of the first movie Mother Took Me To and My First Job were just uh, sappy and insipid. And um, I'm going to stop with that and let one of you jump in. Uh, Jen, I sense <laughs> some, some comeback from you. Well, here's the deal. Let, let me ask you a question. <laughs> yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> how, how do you watch the Oscars? You know, for years, I went out there and watched them in a press room. Right. And one year, I watched them uh, at the uh, bar of a restaurant having a really nice dinner mm -hmm. across the street from the venue in L.A., and that was really exciting. 
I uh, put on my pajamas, get relaxed. <laughs> I, uh, I take a notepad with me and make some notes. And I sit there and uh, watch and pay attention. Well, that's where you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I, I don't know, Jason, how you watch, but um, I have not watched without a second screen for at least 15 years and maybe more. I'm always on my laptop and uh, looking at the TV. So I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm tweeting stuff or looking at Twitter. I'm also taking notes like you are, Arch. So I'm doing like a bunch of different things. And I was thinking oh, well, about Well, I was on Facebook too. I was hearing from a lot of people and posting stuff. Sure. So yeah, I was, you know, okay. I didn't, just didn't want to admit that. That's why. That speeds it along a little bit as you're, you're live tweeting. So I think that kind of kills some of the dead time. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what I was going to say. Like uh -huh. the fact that the speeches are are maybe a little bit long doesn't bother me as much because I'm, I'm, I'm multitasking. Mm -hmm. And I also hate it when they play people off. So yeah, some of the speeches went on too long, but I didn't really mind that. Um, first of all, Regina King walking into the Oscars is the best movie I've seen in 2021 so far. Uh -huh. uh, I loved the opening and I liked the fact that it was, it felt, I mean, you, you, we all knew we were not gonna have it in an auditorium. It wasn't gonna be the crowd that we're used to. It was gonna be a very different vibe just because of the circumstances of the thing. And, it was like an old like supper club situation, which is how they used to do it. Like if you right, go back and yeah. you look at the first Oscars in 1929 mm -hmm. at the Roosevelt Hotel, they're all at little tables, obviously a lot more people, but even the way that they had done the outdoor area where they had the pre-show and the, and the after party, it actually looks very similar if you look at the pictures to the way the first Oscars was done. So I, think I actually walked into the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel and went into the the uh, room there so I could see I mean I didn't do it this year but several years ago I right. I actually wanted to be in that space to see where the first uh, awards were so yeah I get that yeah so I think they were there was some thought put into trying to evoke that spirit and you know I I loved the way that it was shot um where you, they were in the crowd and you and it made it feel like you were actually there I don't know how many cameras they had going but there were a lot, there was an overhead camera. There were just cameras all over the place. And I really liked that a lot. And I think, I just don't know what people want from the Oscars anymore. And I get frustrated no. every single year because no. it doesn't matter what they do. This is too much the same. This is too long. This is too short. This is too different. I don't like it. It's like, they can't, if there was ever a year to just say, you know what, let's just try something different. This was obviously the year to do that. And I have to give them credit for doing that. Not, not all of it worked. Um, I know people miss the clips and I totally understand that. And obviously the ending was an utter disaster that ruined the entire thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, wow. um, but I, but I thought that a lot of the choices they were making were really interesting and made it fresh. And, um, you know, so I, I just, the belly aching just drives me insane. <laughs> and, I, and I can't, and I can't stand the people who don't watch the movies, don't give a crap uh -huh. about this uh -huh. all year. Uh -huh. They don't make good movies anymore. That's why no one watches the Oscars. You don't care about this, so go away. <laughs> Jason, do you want to follow that? Oh, be happy to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with pieces of both of what you're saying. Um, I, I actually was really, I was kind of feeling it at first with, you know, the Steven Soderbergh directed 
you know, long single take following Regina into the room. I agree. That was really well, well produced. It felt like we were watching a movie, which I know Soderbergh, that was sort of how he was, you know, packaging it, teeing it up. I even thought the new location was kind of cool for, you know, for like a, a one-off, you know, pandemic year. Yeah, it felt a little more casual, like the Golden Globes. It lacked that sort of, you know, seriousness of the usual Oscar stage in the Dolby Theater. But you know, for a lot of people, like to Jen's point, a lot of people say they take themselves too seriously. So it's, you know, it is sort of a, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of a thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think the speeches kind of ran on a little long. I was, uh, one little programming note, I was fine with them not including the um, the Songs. original song performance. Yeah, I was fine was with them good. doing an appreciate show. You know why? Because it's every year, I feel like I hate when they nominate songs that only play over the end credits that no one's heard of. And they're giving, it's basically just a fast track excuse to an EGOT that we're trying to do for the, But I think it needs to factor into the meat of the movie, like, you know, a whole new world in Aladdin. Those should be the only songs that are nominated. Yeah. Let, let alone win an Oscar or, or, you know, the shallow from the stars one, you know, in the actual movie. Um, I hate when they, so I actually, I actually thought that was a nice addition. And then, yeah, to your point, I think we're, we're all live tweeting and, you know, I'm prepping my articles and radio pieces. So I don't, I don't, it doesn't drag as much for me. I actually kind of like the long speeches because it gives me a chance to catch up on work. But for, to Arch's point, people at home, you know, probably do feel a drag and are tuning out. But yeah, I, I didn't mind it so much until, until the end, which we can get to now if you want, Arch. But man, the end I thought was, was an absolute disaster. I actually was yelling at the TV, why are you presenting best picture? third to last and the actors after it. Um, I have theories, well, but I'll turn it to you guys. <laughs> clearly, they expected uh, Chadwick Boseman to win, and I imagine they had a tribute uh, all queued up and ready to run, and that is what happens when you make an assumption, and I'm guessing that it was uh, the uh, ranked voting that lost it for Chadwick Boseman, that he, he didn't get enough first place votes and that uh, Hopkins got uh, more first and second place votes than, I, I, I don't know, what do you think, Jen? A ranked voting? I'm not sure, because did, did they do preferential for, for that category too? Or I don't know. Picture? I thought that it was, was just for best picture, but I could be wrong. What um, about the savant? What, see, do they do ranked voting for uh, the actor award? I was under the impression, like Jen, that it was just for best picture. But I well, could, then I, I can't could be wrong figure it out. Came. Yeah, I can't figure out why he didn't win then. Well, there's a theory that you know there's a resistance to giving posthumous Oscars. They haven't done it very many times um, because they want to honor people who <laughs> I was going to say honor people to like move them on to the next thing in their career. But like Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, like, yeah. Good. Hell, he's older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, one of my colleagues, Nate Jones, wrote a whole piece about potential theories as to why Anthony Hopkins may have won. And, and listen, it's, it's, it's a shame because he gives a beautiful performance in The Father. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anybody who won that award who wasn't Chadwick Boseman was being dealt a disservice because it was going to make it seem like through no fault of their own, that they stole the Oscar from the person who really deserved to get it. And yeah, so teeing that up as the last award was a gamble that just did not pay off. Um, I, I, I like the fact that they put Best Director earlier and they were kind of like not saving everything big to the end, but I think Best Picture should always be last. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Best picture should always be last. I think, yeah, I mean, and to to your first question about why they went, you know, why how Buzzman lost, I think I think it's a a three biases towards older, whiter, and living. I really do. I don't think they like to give posthumous awards too much. I think Peter Finch from Peter um, Finch and Network, Network. Mad as Hell and uh and Heath Ledger, mm -hmm. Why So Serious Joker were the only other two actors that won posthumous. Uh, but um in terms of in terms of putting it last, I mean Yes, it was a gamble that Bozeman would win, and I just think that gamble totally backfired because Hopkins, Hopkins wasn't there. And you know, not I definitely to your point, I don't want to take anything away from Hopkins or, or McDormand. They were both presented after two of the all-time greats, but it was like nobody won in this scenario. You know, Nomadland should have won mm -hmm. actress, director, picture in the last three, rode off into the sunset like usual. Instead, Nomadland had its thunder stolen. Chadwick Bozeman fans felt a gut punch, which was me too. I was hoping he'd win. And then, you know people that were even even if you're rooting for hopkins or hopkins themselves don't really get to appreciate it because it just feels awkward in this controversy so i don't know i feel this is why you got to do best picture last i think they got too cute with the rear yeah jim are you what kind of pushback are you hearing to chadwick boseman's loss oh everybody was furious mm -hmm. <laughs> um i think there was a lot of pushback for all the reasons that you guys are mentioning and I don't know if this is true, if it's been confirmed, but I had seen a report yesterday that Olivia Coleman was prepared to accept on Anthony Hopkins' behalf when she was at the, oh. the London hub. And I don't know Ouch. if something went wrong or what happened, but they obviously didn't go to her. I mean, I think it would have it would have helped cushion the blow a little bit if somebody had done something because it was just like that happened. And then it was like, well, we're done. And it just ended yeah, so abruptly. She stole the Oscar from Glenn Close. So that would have made it even worse. I don't know. I think it would have been better to have somebody say something. There just, there needed to be a less abrupt ending than there was. Yeah. Joaquin, uh, I want to throw Phoenix out the in memoriam, which really offended me. The, some of the people on in memoriam were up uh, less than one second. And there they were letting the octopus people talk all night. <laughs> and yet these poor industry leaders who have passed away get nothing. They don't even get a second. In a year of Cicely Tyson and Chadwick Boseman and Sean Connery uh -huh. and Christopher yeah. Plummer, like so many big names were lost. And they it was almost like they were like, oh, it's, quick, let's let's yeah. triple time through this because our, our weird trivia music seg <laughs> segment uh, lasted uh, so long. It, yeah, it directly followed that. Right. And, and suddenly they're like, let's rush through the immemorial. Maybe they had a bigger thing planned at the end of Chadwick one. But uh, who knows? Good point, Jason. All good points. And I know you guys got lots more you want to talk about with the Oscars, but we're going to take a brief break. And plug a little Hound Radio bit. If you happen to have a dog, Faith Lapidus, who hosts our World of Dogs feature on the Hound, has some important information about keeping your dog healthy. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. Some of those colorful blooms poking their heads up in your garden can pose a threat to your canine companion. That herald of spring, daffodils, are highly toxic and the symptoms if your dog eats them include vomiting, diarrhea, and a serious drop in blood pressure. Nibbling on azaleas can cause the same symptoms and could be fatal. Tulips are another lovely danger, especially the bulbs. The toxins can lead to excessive drooling, nausea, and irritation in the mouth. Milkweed is great for butterflies, but can cause fatal heart issues in dogs. So what should you plant? Well, there are plenty of options. Bright yellow forsythia, butterfly bushes, 
coneflowers, marigolds, snapdragons, and a host of herbs that you could eat too. Dill, basil, thyme, and parsley. Mint and lemon balm will give your pup a little pick-me-up. And the scent of lavender and rosemary will leave him feeling zen. So plan ahead for a garden that you and your dog will enjoy. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. We are back and we've got more Oscar talk. Shall we get into the scripted trivia comedy bit? I knew it was scripted as soon as I watched it with Glenn Close and doing the butt and, you know, everybody's talking how cute it was. I thought it was uh, painful to watch. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen on live television. <laughs> Jason? Um, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, it, it, the idea that Lil, it was Lil Rel Howery, who, you know, we loved in, in Get Out. And then uh, uh, what was the stunt movie they just did with him and Eric Andre on Netflix with the, you know, making love at, at the zoo? This, you know, the shot, the prank movie that they just that just happened. Lil Rel yeah, Howery. I can't think of the name of it. Yeah, yeah. That, it, anyway, it was like a, you know, like a, a jackass or, or impractical jokers kind of a stunt movie. I almost expected Eric Andre to jump out during the skit. But um, but yeah, I know I, I, I didn't I didn't mind it. I think it was something for, you know, us younger audiences. I will say when that when that segment started, I had the same reaction that you did, Arch. I was like, it's 1055. Why are we playing trivia right now? Mm. It's ridiculous until and then it got into it. And I loved Andrew Day's comments about Prince. I thought that was great. And you're from DC. Glenn right? <laughs> Close shouted out EU and the DMV. Like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. That's Da Butt. Yeah, it's Da Butt. I know that. Da Butt was, wait a second, it was a classic song by the great Washington, DC go go band EU. So, yeah, and shout outs to Sugar Bear and the whole the backyard band and the whole DMV. And the reason that happened is because um, one of the producers is from the DC area. I'm yeah. certain that he's he snuck that in there. So, uh, the ratings, any thoughts? We knew they were going to be low. Like a no not a surprise in any way. Yeah, every every year is a a, it seems like now every year is a record low. I mean, it dropped what to like nine point eight million. And I know Arch, I saw you post something that in nineteen eighty eight it was like fifty five million. Yeah. So I want to say I want to tackle this two ways. A yes, there's they have a problem. They need to figure out a way to court younger, diverse viewers. Ratings are dropping. All of that is true. Yes, I'm not denying that. But on the flip side, we do need to present context because like Jen was saying earlier, there's all these people that just want that are looking for reasons to hate on the Oscars for political reasons. And if you look at it, last last year's record low was still the second most watched non-sports show of the year behind only the mass Singer, which was like a Super Bowl post Super Bowl special where they, you know, that it, that's a cheat and they boost the ratings. So really, you know. You could say, oh, the ratings are so terrible, but it's still better than any other network show that you or I love or any listeners love or any of these people that want to hate on the Oscars love. You know, it, it outdoes your favorite show, guys. So sit, sit down a little bit on that critique. But I mean, it's still the big, yeah. I mean, it's it's still highly popular, but I really think it has more to do. Yes, there's political divisions. Yes, there's pandemic fatigue, but I think it has more to do with the overall cord cutting trend and the splintering of TV audiences, how we consume media. 
Um, I really think that that is driving the drop in the ratings more than whether they, you know, have Regina King in a single take by Steven Soderbergh. Like, I really think it has more to do with the overall tuning out of network TV. Wow. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> that's, that's, that's the last word for me. I think that's absolutely true. I think a lot of people, they watch the Oscars on social media because they know everybody's going to, all the clips are going to go up eventually. And they don't want to sit through three or four hours so they can just go and watch the parts that they that everybody's talking about. And that's the way they consume it. And, you know, I think the bigger problem to, to Jason's point is, I mean, I, I started watching the Oscars in elementary school. Kids today do not give a you know what about it. My husband tried to pay my son forty dollars to just sit in the room with me. And he wouldn't take the forty dollars. He did come in. <laughs> you know, when he came in. Yeah. during the during the butt part because he heard me <laughs> laughing and that was when he came in and he was laughing too so like that's the thing like you you need to i mean certainly the movies that that came out this year were not things that i, I you know 14 and 15 year old kids were, were watching but i don't think they're watching movies that much period okay now i got a message on facebook from uh someone who said uh so of the movies that were celebrated at the oscars and of the best movie nominees which ones do you recommend to those of us who haven't seen any of them? Mm -hmm. And I immediately uh, uh, messaged back uh, Sound of Metal. Oh, yeah, totally. How would you answer that question? I would, I would say that. I would, I would say Nomadland. And what am I forgetting? There, there was another one. That, oh, and, and Minari. I, I would say those three. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, can I throw in real quick? You know, I told you a few weeks ago that I was watching the PBS News and um, Paul Solomon had done a, a report on the nomad movement and they reran the report yesterday. It featured a lot of the same people in the movie. It's, it's really interesting to see uh, his report done before the film on this living in a van movement. Mm. So you can probably catch it, uh, get it downloaded online. Speaking of Nomadland, which, you know, we, we all, all of us here loved it. Um, I know we've talked on past podcasts that maybe mainstream folks might find it slow or whatever. So maybe I would recommend, you know, definitely Sound of Metal. I thought Judas and the Black Messiah could reach mm. mainstream audiences too. Um, I think there's a lot if people sit down and, and give them, give it a chance. But yeah, I, I think Sound of Metal is probably a good one to, to start with, and then maybe they can go on to the other ones. But Nomadland, guys, is this true? Is Nomadland, I know it was released on Hulu. Is it the first streaming movie, if we're counting it as that, to win Best Picture? I don't know if it's fair to count it as a streaming movie, because right. it didn't go directly to that. It, it was in right. theaters first. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think it's not like a Hulu original or something. Yeah, right, right. Uh, any other thoughts on the awards? Very happy you... for Kaluuya. I thought his speech was was, was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and uh, Yoo Jung Yoon, I thought stole yes. the night. Her, as the, you know, she was the grandma in Minari. She came to like, Brad Pitt, where were you on set? We didn't see you. Nice to see you. And you've all been pronouncing my name wrong this whole time, but I forgive you all. <laughs> Well, and also we didn't even mention, you know, Chloe Zhao winning for Nomadland, um, the first Chinese woman to win and only the second woman ever to win that award in 93 stupid years. I think the magnitude of that got a little bit lost and all the other things that were going on. Yeah, that's, an, you know, what? I, I was, I tweeted that in all caps, you know, like here's, here's the list of winners of women that have won. Catherine Bigelow, Catherine Bigelow. Chloe Zhao. Catherine that's Bigelow. It. That'll Wait, be wow. It. 
yeah where, whereas you know whereas if you had to tweet all the the men who have won it you could you definitely couldn't fit it in at like a million tweets so that that right there the disparity is was very jarring so hey progress on that front at least i just like to say hats off to ida lupino which maybe one or two people will get <laughs> oh yeah yeah she was yeah. remember she was bogey's co-star in high sierra right right yeah <laughs> and then became a director and did yep. some great stuff back yeah. in the 40s and 50s so any thoughts on the future of where do we go from here <laughs> That's I, mean, I, think, I, think, I think every year is going to keep being record low ratings well actually no it'll probably bounce back slightly next year because this year we were in a pandemic and no one saw yeah. the movies and stuff but um yeah I, I don't think we're going to return to that that space of what you know that that meme you posted arch of the 55 million viewers that, in the that's 80s. also 55 million was the most ever that was the titanic yeah, yeah. year that's that a hard year to compare to. Yeah. <laughs> well also also if you think about it you know arch you know in 88 that was like you know you on channel four golden age with george michael leading into carson and you no, 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 and no, no, bob no. ryan it was 98 that you posted right 98 yeah oh, 98 i'm wrong yeah. oh so so that's when titanic was nominated for everything it was and everybody titanic. wanted to watch it well you know what yeah well that's a well that's another good point is you know the, the year's top grossing blockbuster used to all used to win best picture like 90 percent of the time or something and now it never does so i i think that contributes to the rating drop more than anything else is there's like a, this chasm of what you know the award contenders that's not, jason I'm, I'm no that's not true the, the top grossing film of the year did not win 90% of the time. All right, actually, I, I misspoke. I crunched the numbers and a top 10 grocer, a top 10 grocer of the year won Best Picture 90% of the time from the 30s through like the 70s. And it changed in the 80s. And, that, right. and then now, because I think yeah, that's, it's I think accelerated. That's, I think that's yeah. the sequels came in. Yeah. yeah. And now it, now from the 80s onward, for, that's been, not been the case at all. Oh yeah, oh, it's like zero percent of the time now because uh, I think, but I also think it's because sequels took off, and you can't really blame the Academy for not wanting to, you know. Oh no, no, yeah, not at all. But sorry, yes, I misspoke. A top ten grocer used to win every time, but I think that has more to do with anyone, you know, celebrities patting themselves on the back, or political divisions, or pandemic, or Steven Soderbergh with Regina King walking in in a single take. I really think the chasm between art movies and blockbusters sequels is what everyone goes to watch avengers versus nomadland what win the awards i think that chasm has more to do with the ratings drop off than anything that that and social media when everyone's a star no one's a star you know <laughs> so, this is so much fun and the, and the clock is ticking and the time is just flying by so uh let me throw it to jen for uh flashbacks and favorites and then a couple of things uh, to say so first jen what's on your mind today i'm gonna i'm gonna do something very in the in the mode of lost instead of asking mm -hmm. you to flash back i'm gonna ask you to flash forward ah, uh, good. and tell me about a movie that's going to be coming out in the next few months or year or whatever that you would be very excited to see in a theater what is it? What is it? Uh, not a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Jason? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take a, take a minute if you need it. I'm trying to remember what all is coming out. <laughs> is it? Uh-huh. Now that you have touched a nerve, Jen. I mean, there, there was all the movies that got delayed. Like, you know, I'd be curious to see the new 
Mission Impossible Bond. There's some Marvel stuff. Uh, well, they teased In the Heights and West Side Story as two musicals. Yeah. That I'm curious to see. Originally, I thought, how dare we remake West Side Story? And then I realized, oh, it's Spielberg. And I realized, oh, wait, Tony and Maria were both dubbed over voices by Marnie Nixon in the original anyway. So it's not. it can't be too sacred. I'll give it a shot. Is a place for us. Somewhere, a place for us. Uh, yeah, maybe In the Heights, West Side Story. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I'll go with In the Heights. I really want to see what he does next. Mm-hmm. Jen, what are you looking forward to? So on CBS Sunday Morning, they did a segment on the future of movies, and they were showing a bunch of things that are going to be coming out. And <laughs> they showed um, clips from Top Gun 2 or Top Gun Maverick, whatever it's going to be mm-hmm. called. And I was like, you know what? If I'm actually in a theater watching that, I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> like, that's a sad thing to admit, but I probably will, because seeing Tom Cruise as Maverick again will be pretty exciting. Your reputation precedes you. I have to admit, I wasn't expecting an invitation back. They're called orders, Maverick. Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Today's exercise is dogfighting. I feel the need, the need for patience. Right. <laughs> Well, and I don't like it. Now it's coming out at Christmas. That should not come out at Christmas. That's a summer movie. I'm sorry. I'm waiting for the remake of The Magnificent Ambersons because I think they're going to do it right this time. Without the Robert <laughs> Wise ending? Yes, yeah, with so, so, and I, uh, none, none is planned. I'm just saying that. Uh, so now the Oscars have closed uh, and this podcast is going to take a few weeks to do a little resting and rebooting. Jen has pl- pl- promised to check in with us every few weeks and Lou and I uh, will continue to draw on all of the smart people associated with the Washington area film critics. So watch this space and we'll be back in about uh, three weeks. And Jason, uh, tell everybody where we can follow you. Uh, at WTOP uh, on Twitter. Obviously, hear me on WTOP. And then I got I just launched a new podcast called Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Arch was just on. We revived a convo for his 75th birthday. It's Resuscitated. Just way, it's just a way to feature some long-form interviews because you only get like 40 seconds on WTOP, the way the format is. But we had Ken Burns, Chadwick Boseman, Ben Mankiewicz, you know, and I think upcoming I got John yeah. Grisham and Herbie Hancock coming up next week. So. And Jen, where can we access you? Uh, you can read my work at Vulture and on Twitter, I'm at Cheney J. And I uh, really admire your work at Twitter. And Lou, uh, thank you for having us on Hound Radio. And any final words from you? Well, I thought we'd like to wrap up the show as we always do with a song. And because you guys have loved the Oscars so much, <laughs> I'm going to play her, the song that won the Oscar from judas and the black messiah fight for you and here you go and we'll catch you in a few weeks right here all the smoke in the air till the hate when they stare
This is the Cats Podcasting System.